This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We're back. Hey, Caitlin. We're back in the same continent. Yeah, we actually are back in the same city. We're back in the same city. I know we haven't seen each other in a while. You came in hot, straight off the plane, back to your show uh, at Amazon. How was the sleep? How was the schedule? How was it to perform in one continent and then another within 24 hours, calling matches in Australia and then hosting a live TV show in New York within days? Yeah. I did. Uh, I did. A couple words came out of my mouth that were incorrect, um, but other than that, well, pretty good. I actually went straight into the old show, and uh, <laughs> it was nice to get back at the desk, a, a seat that you kept warm for a week, which I appreciated. Um, I don't think anybody then, would accuse me of being a real Renee placement, so I was just happy to keep it warm for you. I thought you did a great job, Thank by you. the way. And, and you know me, I don't, I'm not into hyperbole of praising you, <laughs> unless you deserve it. You're a tough and coach. You're a tough coach. You well, I just want to say one of the things that I was really happy for you to get to talk about on your return, because they were kind enough to not make me talk about other sports, which I know nothing about. But upon your return, you got to talk again about the goat watch in skiing. You know, obviously, this yeah. is a tennis podcast, the Renee Stubbs tennis podcast. It's in the name means we're talking tennis. But I do want to briefly segue into the fact that your show is not a tennis show. It's a sports show. So while you yeah. talk a heavy amount of tennis, you got to talk about the greatest skier of all time in Michaela Schifrin and her record beating slalom race or overall title race occurred while you were at the desk. That is such a cool story. Yes, she passed um, Lindsay Vaughn as the greatest American skier, not female, not male, American skier of all time. Lindsay Vaughn had 82, I believe, World Cup victories, and uh, which is in and of itself outrageous. Um, and especially because Lindsay was a specialist downhiller, really, you know, she obviously did super G as well. And I probably threw her hand in the giant slalom and I don't think she ever tried slalom, but if she did, then I didn't see it. But if she did, then she probably was good at it. But Lindsay Vaughn's record that probably not a lot of people thought was possible. And now she's staring down the barrel of passing Ingemar Stenmark at 88, I believe. World Cups, I mean, it's just outright. I think she's at 86. Um, it's incredible what she's doing. She's so young. I believe that Lindsay uh, Vaughn's um, bar was so high. Now it's just, she's off to the races now. I think yeah. she's going to get to 100. 100 World Cup wins That's in insane. her before her career ends. Yeah. Well, so, 
What's crazy yeah. about that and where we can take that back to tennis, especially in the context of like, you know, Novak Djokovic tying Rafa, trailing Serena by one, like when something, when you're close to a record being overturned or tied and really the eyes are on you and the pressure's on you, we've seen, you know, certainly with Serena, like that, you see what it means to them. And then all of a sudden something that might've been, you know, kind of a swift walk in the park maybe kind of people stall out for a little bit, you know? I mean, Novak well, didn't really, mainly because he didn't play two slams because of the whole vaccination stuff last year, but like, presumably he would have gotten there sooner. Whereas like Serena, you could tell, like it was weighing on her a lot, trying to trying to best yeah. that Steffi Graf record, which she did, obviously. There's a big caveat to a lot of that. And one of them is Serena did this little thing called get pregnant. Um, and... If yeah, I think Serena having a had, winning a slam while pregnant should count for like five extra slams. Personally, I believe, <laughs> but well, I don't make the rules. Not, but not only that, Caitlin, she was so dominant at that point. You know that there's no question if she hadn't gotten pregnant, she would have won Wimbledon that year, for, for sure. sure. I mean, she for was sure. almost unbeatable at Wimbledon when she was playing well. You know, um, so there's no question that you know would she have won the French? I don't know. It was the toughest one for her to win that <sighs> year, but no doubt in my mind, she probably would have won Wimbledon, and I would. You know, US Open was always difficult because it was emotionally such a tough event for her to play for so many reasons. But would she have won there? I would give, I would certainly have said her over the field, yeah. you know, at the US Open that year. So look, she, she probably would have passed Margaret's 24 Grand well, Slams. Margaret, if Margaret's she hadn't record. Gotten no, Margaret's record count. is not real. Margaret's record is not real. It doesn't count to me. 22 was always the mark. Yeah. It was always the mark because it was professional tennis. Yes. And Margaret Court won 10 Australian Opens and basically eight of them when pretty much there was never a full field. Yeah, it right? was a there draw was no size Billy of 32 team. and it was locals only because people didn't really go down there. So, yeah, no, to me, the 24 was always a pretend thing and moving the goalposts. So now Serena has the record. Two dudes sit right behind her. And presumably, you know, I don't know if Rafa is coming back anytime soon but well, you know we've we've written them off before and it hasn't happened but it seems certainly you know Novak's probably got you know 23 and 24 within the next oh, year easy right oh I think that by the time Novak finishes his career he's gonna have uh, I, I'm gonna guess at 28 Jesus. I think that he can I can think that he can win five more Grand Slams by the time he's finished his career so that'll put him at about 26. I know it's really hard to do once once these young kids like Alcaraz, Runa um, start really believing in themselves over five sets. And obviously Alcaraz does because he, he won the US Open last it. year. But, yeah. but, but Novak was not there. Novak's not ever been a lock at the US Open um, for many, many years. But still, you have to think that he's a favorite every time he plays a, a particularly a hardcore Grand Slam or at Wimbledon. I mean, the guy's going to win a couple more Wimbledon yeah, titles. Yeah, at five sets, especially given the sort of – lack of belief among the the younger guys for now but you know let's see what happens also over, I, uh, over five sets Kevin. Five that's sets, the key because sure. these know. guys all believe that they can beat him over three because they've done it right and he can have a bit of an off day but to have an off day over five sets is even if you have a bit of an off day you can always pull it back so over five sets Novak is just unbeatable which uh for now yeah i now. i well let's see if they let him in the country i think the laws are sort of changing because he's not no u.s open miles. he's U.S. Open, he'll be fine for, but Palms, uh, Indian Wells is still a question mark. Um, Indian Wells is coming up. So we have some incredible women to talk about this week, which makes me mm. super excited. As you know, 
that is so fun. Although I do want to give a shout out to the Davis Cup team currently winning in Uzbekistan. They currently won. Uh, victorious won. in Uzbekistan. <laughs> I love the fact that like Tommy Paul and all these guys are chilling in Florida in their G-wagons. And then here we are in Uzbekistan, just getting it done. You know, it's good. tennis is so global. Like, I love that about it. I love that Tommy Paul was sort of the hero of the show. I would love for Tommy Paul to make a, a deep run. I feel like he's kind of like the sleepy American that nobody pays attention oh, to. Wow. But he's the one who made the, the best run of the, the Australian Open. Hopefully that's more to come from him. Do you feel like that's likely? Or or people say that he's in Lake Nona, the physical beast. I was hearing from our friend Mark Lucero and other people who've done a lot of training and coaching with the men. They're like, oh yeah, he's got like the biggest lung capacity. He has like the highest vertical jump. I guess he's an like athletic freak, but he's just kind of flying under the radar in this way that he hasn't been sort of celebrated or talked about. Well, his game isn't flashy. That's I mean, why, right? yeah, his game's not so, fun. So, you know, unfortunately, there are players that have played so well through the years and they just, people don't gravitate to them because they're like, oh, I love watching this guy play. I would say, and I love Tommy Paul and I think he's a great guy. He's not like, oh, he's so fun to watch. Like, yeah, he's you know, no Alcaraz. Nothing, yeah. There's nothing exciting about Tommy other than the fact he's bloody fast and he makes a million balls and he's a great competitor and, and he's smart and he uses that. And so it was great to see him get through the semis. That was a huge huge run for him um you think about ben shelton you know he's got this big serve and this big forehand and he's doing shit on the court you're just like what was that you know yeah, yeah. so you, sort of like a little bit of a box of chocolates with ben um one of the funniest <laughs> things at the australian open was when you're allowed to coach right and this is why everyone's i'm like yeah which is thing? new which is like relatively new which i feel like people didn't realize that it's not cheating because now it's legal for people to get coaching here's the funny thing is at one point there was a very big game i believe it was in the fourth set um and he looked at his coach, Brad Stein, who was sitting in the the coach's box, Tommy Paul. And he's like, which, what should I do? Like T wide? Like which one should I cover on a big point? And apparently Ben Shelton saw this conversation. <laughs> and he saw he saw Brad Stein go T or whatever. And sure enough, Ben went bang the other way. And he's like, oh, way to go. And then he looked at Ben and Ben's laughing. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, man, he saw where I thought he was <laughs> So, so maybe coaching isn't necessarily an advantage if you're inadvertently coaching both players at the same time. Hey, it's what I say. I said, listen, you can tell your players so much, but you also have to be very careful of what you say because the opponent can hear it. Right. You have to be careful with your signs because the other player can see it. So, you know, coaching, literal coaching, legal coaching now, is it's a fine art. You've still got to be very tactful how you do it and you can't give too much information too much information otherwise your brain just short circuits while you're staying in the moment and trying to actually execute is this for those of us and myself included who are not totally clear on the rules because i remember the wta obviously had it mic'd up very overtly part of the game a couple years ago but in wta matches not in itf matches which is what the slam tournaments are what's the rule right now and is this permanent or what are we doing Uh, yeah as far as I know, I don't know for the other slams like Wimbledon, et cetera, what they're allowing of the okay. French, but I know the Australian Open, US Open, you're allowed to coach. You're allowed to coach when the player's down your end of the court. There can't be this back and forth conversation. Like you can't say, hey, what should I do? Oh, you should go here and you should do that. Yeah, but what about if I do that? And you can't have this back <laughs> yeah, and forth. Yeah, it's not like a giant it. consultation. It's just like cover the backhand more. Or and it's not it's, what the WTA used to allow, which is when you got called on, you know, like you're yeah, coaching. That's done. Carolina Plushkova at the finals of the WTA uh, in Singapore, you get to go onto the court and like go through shit on a whiteboard. That's not what this is. This is just more like they have made legal the already pervasive sort of 
little chitter chit chit chat that happens between a player and their coach and has as far as I can tell since the beginning of time trust me I've coached I was a player everybody coaches everybody every player looks at their coach for some advice and every coach gives it when they can when the umpire's not looking at them or when the lines people are not looking at them and it happens and it was always a part of the tennis world always this to me is a step in the right direction which is Hopefully the tennis gets better. And when it doesn't get better, like the example that you just said with Tommy Paul and Ben Shelton, at least it gets funnier. We anyway. got it on all the time. We'd always get play, players would be playing and then the coach would do something. We were, and we were like, I don't think that's allowed. It, it happened all the time. And sure. I mean, the situation, <laughs> it really it really got changed, let's face it, when the situation and the shit hit the fan with Serena at the yeah. US Open. Yeah. Because a lot of people were like, well, he gave a very innocuous signal, which was like these two hands together moving forward, which whatever. What does even that mean? Second of all, Serena wasn't even looking at him at the time because they yes. showed the split screen, right? Yes. They showed the split screen of when he did it and what she was doing, and she wasn't even looking at him. So it's like, okay, he wasn't – she didn't even look. So yeah. that's why she got so angry because I can tell you, I know for a fact, after coaching her somewhat a little bit now, she doesn't look, Right. And and I could coach her at the US Open. I actually could tell her something, and I did a couple of times. But she's not the person that looks at you like, "What do I do?" Like, yeah. so that's yeah. why she was so pissed. Which like, I totally oh. understand. I understand. I mean, I think for me that situation, I came really down hard on Serena about like some of the sportsmanship stuff about that. But the, at the core of it, like Patrick Muratoglu, yes, doing in fact coaching by like seeming to indicate, I don't know, get to the net, two parallel hands. Like, doesn't seem like it would have changed the outcome of the match. And she didn't see him. So, like, for her, she didn't get coaching. I'll, I'll button it up by saying the rule is if you coach and I see you, it doesn't matter if your player sees you. That's the rule. Okay? Which is why he get away with it and run away from it and say, I did my job. The second thing is you got to know your players a little bit. you got to know the coach and the player a little bit. got to be able to – because I can guarantee you Sasha Bajan down the other end, who was with Naomi Osaka, was coaching his brains out. Okay? So – you got to know also the player and your coach before you give out a warning like that because come on, like use your sense of smarts there in that situation. Anyway, we don't want to go into that. Well, that the good news is you've given me a great segue. We've already talked about the men more than I intended to because now we can talk about the women. We can talk about the most exciting young American woman that nobody has talked about really before this week, although we should have, in I Alicia did. Parks. You did. Tell us what you said before and tell us what you're saying now because she has a title having beat Cargar, Carolyn Garcia, who's one of the hottest, most informed players on the WTA tour, a contender for every slam she enters now. And Alicia Parks took it to her today in Lyon, winning her first WTA tour final, a young girl from Atlanta who, wow, does she have a game. 22 years of age, really coming into her own now. Clearly someone like Coco Goff has taken so much of you know, the attention away from so many other players, which young players absolutely, right. absolutely deserved of incredible player. We know what she's done over the last couple of years, including reaching a final of a grand slam last year um, and getting into a couple of doubles grand slams finals. Um, but Alicia Park. So I sort of knew something about her a little bit. And then I'd heard oh, she's a big game and big serve and la la la. Anyway, last year at the U S open, as you know, I had, I really, one of the things that I wanted Serena to do was play practice sets against as many people as possible before she went into the US Open, something she had never done in the past. And I just felt with no match play over the last year, hardly any, like three matches, she needed to play practice sets. It's the closest and only thing you can do to simulating a match, right? Right. So she played with Anshabur, Maria Sakari, uh, you know, all really good 
players, Sonia Kennan, all very well-known players, players in the top 10 or former Grand Slam champions. And um, Eric, who was also coaching um, Serena at the US Open with me, Eric Heckman, he says, oh, I got this. I said, who do you have tomorrow? Because he was um, helping organize the practices. And he goes, oh, I've got this girl, Alicia Parks, tomorrow. I said, oh, okay. Young American. Yeah, she lost in qualies. Good player. Big game. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she'll do whatever Serena wants her to do. Okay. So we turn up. Serena's having a – I want to preface this by saying Serena was having a bad day. She was not in a great mood at all. Little did I know her dog had passed away that day. She had other things that, that were going on. Is that a big deal for people who like dogs? Yes, Caitlin. And just checking. You I just want this not, to be factually accurate, so I'm just asking about how that could affect someone's mood. You are not helping yourself get loved again by hating I wanna, dogs. I don't want to get that's, loved again. I'm not doing, you don't enter the field of journalism because you need people's love. Okay. But anyway, I digress. Anyway. She had a bad day. She was having a bad day. The dog died. I know that having a bad Serena day. and Venus both are very close to their dogs. Yeah. Anyway, so Serena's having a bad day, but she is getting <laughs> spanked by Alicia. I mean, it was like game. She was acing like 120 miles an hour, T-serves out wide. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, first of all, why would you get this girl to practice with Serena? She has no, she loves Serena. She's clearly her idol, but she's going out here and she's having the best time. She's serving her off the court. She's like, this is great. I've got no pressure on me. And poor Serena is getting, and I'm like, not building up a confidence right now. <laughs> you know, it was the, it was the worst practice we had before. The and US so Serena, like even, even said, like, no, like, like seen her like, before or like what, you know, no, what was the not, content? Not really. Yes, because she was uh, played a little bit in Boca, so I think Serena knew of her as well. But I'm like, this girl is fucking so good. She is literally pounding the ball. I'm like, how did this girl lose? So Katu, then she does great at the end of last year, won a couple of um, smaller, like, challenger events, back-to-back, won two, I believe, back-to-back, got her ranking high enough to be inside the Australian Open main draw, but couldn't because the deadline had passed, so she had to play qualies. So on my show, we highlighted her as the number one seed in qualies. She's going to be a player to watch, blah, oh, blah, wow. blah. Yeah, won, yeah, yeah. Won, won her first round in qualies. Tough two set, 7-6, seven, 7-6 six, seven, six against an Aussie wildcard, I think. So I was like, oh, that's a bit weird. She should win more comfortably. That, And then she lost second round. So I was like, ah, the pressure was on her. She didn't really get through. And I, I critiqued her on my show. And I said, I think the mistake she made was playing in the United Cup. She was on the team for the United Cup. So she, basically she was a substitute singles player right. or doubles player. Right. But she didn't get a match. She didn't get mm-hmm. a match at United Cup and then went straight to qualies and then lost it second round. Now, if it was me, I think the experience she had at the United Cup was invaluable and incredible to be around that and enjoy that and see how, you know, Jessica Bagula and Madison Keys operate and how they play and all that sort of stuff. So I think it was very valuable but looking back in hindsight, I think she should not have played that and she should have been in Melbourne preparing for qualies. Mm. Because, listen, she's playing so well right now, coming off winning a couple of challenges. If she got through qualies, I mean, good luck to everybody playing against her. Yeah, no so kidding. I think that, she just took out a top 10 a, player in Caroline Garcia. Like, you have to like her odds in a draw. Like, wow. I just think it was a tact, it was just a scheduling malfunction from her. Sydney conditions, which she yeah. was there for like almost two weeks, very different to Melbourne. Uh, court was very different to Melbourne. So I think, you know, looking back on it, she probably made a, a, a mistake there. But, hey, look look at me. I look like a dummy now because it doesn't matter. She went to Lyon. 
she's won like 15 matches in a row indoors. So she plays great indoors. Yeah. It, her serve is, I'm telling you. Oh my I'm God. Good with it coming at me. And I'm like, oh my God. It is like Serena Peak. That's how good her serve is when it yeah. goes in. It is, uh, I'll tell you, she's a potential top 10 player. And that within the, I said it in the next 12 months, I believe that she can be in the top 10. She's got to keep, obviously, the body healthy. She's a strong girl. She's like 5, yeah. 10, 11. She's about my height, a little bit taller than me, maybe a 5'11". Uh, strong, strong girl. Uh, really wants it. Has a great head on her shoulders. The way she handled this final today, even with the crowd, like at one point she got a little bit annoyed at the crowd sort of yelling and screaming in between her serves. And, and then she won the next point. She's like, <laughs> come on, bring it, bring it, you know. So I love it. I think she's a great talent. And I, I actually think there's so much upswing for her if she can get the right coaching, get the right, um, you know, physicality, make sure she doesn't get injured. This girl has every, every power tool in the world and can be without question a Grand Slam champion one day. She keeps putting the work in and she's good. She's really good. And I'm not, I don't, you know me, I don't, I'm not into hyperbole when it comes to like pushing for someone being in the top 10 or being a Grand Slam champion, but she no, absolutely has all the 100%. And I think for me, like what mm -hmm. I like so much about, especially the women's tour is just, you know, the variety that we see of personalities of backgrounds of game styles. She's strong and looks like she's a fully formed player. I played junior tennis out of that Atlanta section and having a lot of like young black talent out of Atlanta, it's kind of overdue. Like there's so many good players down there, like starting with the Jenkins brothers, Jackie, Jermaine, two of whom ended up as hitting partners. Uh, Jackie was my age. Um, Jeremy and Jermaine ended up being, I think, hitting partners for, for Venus and Serena, Donald yep. Young, Taylor Townsend. Um, you know, to have Alicia Parks coming out of that scene, that public court scene, South Fulton County Tennis Center, shout out. I played a lot of junior tennis tournaments there. It was just really cool. Like, you know, the South has something to say, as Outcast would say. So I, I was just... Really, really, really excited about that. Let's talk about another Yo, young people. woman. Because now we're on our favorite subject, professional women's tennis. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many people might have remembered the best headgear at the Australian Open, being worn the sort of babushka bandana Rambo headwear by <laughs> Diana Schneider, a young Russian who was a lefty and got a very impressive set off of Maria Sakari, but before like basically she almost kind of, won. She almost won that match. She kind of ran yeah. out of the steam at the end, and everyone was sort of talking about like, oh my god, this girl's eighteen, 
And she's about to go back to NC State to go play college tennis. And everyone was like, well, that's crazy because she's now in the top 100 in the Women's Tennis Association Tour. Why wouldn't she just, and she has points and has made money. Why wouldn't she just keep it going? But no, she played her first collegiate tennis match yesterday for the North Carolina State Wolfpack. She won, obviously. And she had to give all that money back. I think she had to give all that money back. I won one tournament as a NCAA. I won $94 and I had to give it back. Now, I don't know. That's a lot more that you win. Like 150. Getting into the main draw at a Grand Slam that I presume she has to give back, but I don't, I don't really know the rules, but it's hard to imagine. You're like playing this young woman in a NCAA match. Like, are you shitting yourself before you even get out on the court? Like, Oh my God. She's she just played a grand slam and got a set off a top ten player. Not only did she get a set, Caitlin, but she also won a round. Yo, you're right. Yeah, of course. So she was had like 150 thousand US in her back pocket. She's had to give that back. You can claim all your expenses. So I hope she had a really good tax person saying, "Oh yeah, and I flew this person down and this person down, and oh, I had dinner here, and I'm uh, yeah. uh, and just take all the cash." But. Yeah, she's a really dynamic, fun player. But it's interesting that she's going chosen to go to college because most people don't go to college if they know they can at least get – she now can get into every Grand Slam this year. Right. She's ranked she's 94. She's automatic – yeah, she's an automatic in for four Automatic slams. into French, automatic into Wimbledon. And yep. Now, I I wish I'd – you know, before we started talking about that, we were going to talk about this on the – wish I'd asked Lisa Raymond because Lisa had the same situation. She was still mm. at Florida. She played two years at Florida, and I believe she made the round of 16 at Wimbledon or or third round at Wimbledon uh, when she was still at college, I believe. Uh, I need to probably find that out. But I believe that's true. So there's been some players in the past that have done very, very well professionally while being in college. Um, I know from Lisa's standpoint, because we talked it a, a lot, is that she wasn't emotionally um, ready to go pro. Um, she just wasn't quite ready to be on the road full time and liked her teammates, liked that atmosphere, loved her coach, worked really hard at college. Like he was, uh, Andy Brandy was her coach there and he, you know, coached a lot of very, very good players. And I think she liked his guidance, didn't really want to leave there and became a better player because of it. Won the NCAAs twice in singles, back to back, was unbeaten in her second year, won the NCAA titles as a team for the first time for Florida when she was there the first year. So she accomplished a lot of great things there and then was like, eh, okay. I probably should go out there now. I mean, she was losing like eight, six and a third to Jennifer Capriati that year at Wimbledon when she was still at college. So, you know, this is, this was a player that now felt like emotionally she ready. Look at Danielle Collins last year's Australian open finals, totally. you know, top 10 player in the WTA tour. She went to four years of college because she didn't feel like she was ready either and developing a game and maturity. So maybe this kid, um, Diane, she feels a little bit the same way. She's from Russia, probably didn't have a lot of support, didn't have any money, um, and thought, well, I'll go to school for a few years, maybe yeah. four, play tennis, still get an education. She's probably a smart kid. And it's interesting that she's yeah. decided to go back, but we'll see. Having been a collegiate tennis player, a very, very mediocre collegiate tennis player, to be clear, um, it sort of, it makes me wonder what college tennis is for. Um, and I mean this without really an agenda, just more kind of an open question. Like, College tennis is, on the women's side especially, because women have more scholarships thanks to Title IX in tennis than they do men, because men's tennis scholarships are largely eaten up by the fact that 110 men get scholarships for most D1 college football teams. 
and that kind of eats up the rest of the ability for other men to have other sports that don't cause brain damage by the way and that's sort of an issue but for women plenty of college scholarships available they're all for you know large by and large like kind of endowment funded or taxpayer funded and it is interesting because i'm not sure tennis college tennis necessarily is a very good step ladder towards the pros at times in tennis well no but at times it has been like you think about yeah. arthur ash who played at ucla you think about john McEnroe, who played at he played john McEnroe played oh, at stanford, stanford, stanford. As did, My, as did i gotta the get Brothers. that right no you're, you're right you're right and patrick and Patrick. Patrick. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and that's obviously Lisa Raymond was one of the most celebrated NCAA athletes of all time at Florida. You know, so so it's certainly possible. And if you're playing at the very highest levels of NCAA tennis, you're playing for Stanford or Florida or Duke. Yeah, you're on that trajectory where you're playing other elite players and it's possible. Jenny Brady, UCLA. I mean, there's been a lot, Caitlin. So I just think it comes. I don't think there has been a lot, though. I think it's a fraction, a fraction, especially in today's game. It's a fraction. And the truth is most people get worse in college, not because college isn't a good experience to have, but in the case of a lot of really good athletes that I play tennis with, not only within like, you know, like the University of Texas, for example, they will have gone to an academy in Florida, a voluntary academy now called IMG or, or Rick Meachie or whatever, you know, one of these, and they're playing tennis about six hours a day and going to school about two hours a day. When you go to college, that is flipped. You're playing tennis for about two hours a day and you're going to college for about six hours a day. And so if you're not, if you're coming from a really high intensity training environment, you have to be phenomenally self-motivated to make that shift in ratio really work for you. And the fact of the matter is most people have already kind of peaked by the time they're 18, 19. Now, I'm not saying it's not great to go to college. Believe me, having had a free education was the best thing. It changed my life. But I do wonder what college tennis in the, in the vein of pro tennis is is four. You know what I mean? Well, I guess she's going to be the one to answer that in the next For few sure. years. And it, it, if, and I've always said tennis now is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You can yep. play up until you're 35, 38, 39, 40 years of age. So there's 20 years left of her career. Um, and I think she's talented enough. I do think she's pretty talented. So I think actually getting more sort of reps and winning a lot of matches in, in, cause if she's as good as we think she is, she will win almost every match. In She'll win 98% of her matches for sure. And, and same with Lisa, like same with Lisa. And Lisa went on to the pro tour and then believed in herself more because she wasn't a type of person that was like super cocky. And I mean, she's cocky in certain ways, but down deep inside, there was a, a lot of insecurity about herself. And I think that once she walked out of college, she was like, oh, well, shit, I, I can't do anything more than I've done there. And you think about Jenny Brady, who played like four at UCLA or three or four. She wasn't even the top player, but she right. learned how to win there. And then eventually... She started doing that on the pro tour. Um, but, I mean, look look at that quarterfinal just a week ago. So, J.J. Wolf is playing against Ben Shelton. you got Ohio State playing against uh, against uh, Florida. You know, these two guys uh, did really well in college, and then they've gone on. So, I think here's my answer to it. If you are not ready physically and mentally to be a professional tennis player and put the hours and the time in to get better, do not turn pro, go to college. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yes. Because you can, you say you get worse. I, I think if you if you do the work in college. And if you and have a good coach, it, a new good program, which I did not have. Pick a good school with a good coach and a good program. Some, some kids, I don't have the availability of being able to practice. They don't have the money to be able right. to buy a lot of tennis balls. It costs yeah. a lot of money to buy tennis balls. It costs a lot of money to like have a full-time coach. It's, it costs a lot of money to get out, unless you're getting a scholarship. 
at an academy by an IMG who now own you, um, you, (laughs) you have to find somewhere to get structured practice and practice is available at these really good schools. So I'm a big believer in if you're not emotionally and, and physically ready, go to college and you can always go back, right? And get you finish your scholarship if you don't make it on the pro tour. So I'm a big proponent of it, especially Americans when you can just go for a year if you want. Um, if you're lighting the world on fire and beating everybody in college tennis, then you may have, you have a chance to make it on the tour. You got to find don't, a chance. Don't, I see so many girls out there that I'm like, you suck. And you didn't go to college. Like, why wouldn't you go to college? At least that's get your the, education. That's a terrible, that's a terribly harsh grenade read, but you're not, you're probably not wrong, which is you could be in college right now and winning a lot of tennis matches and getting an education, which for somebody like me who knew I was never going to be able to make a living playing tennis going to a school where I could get a I was like okay my first career is over now I gotta figure out my second career and sometimes it takes people longer to figure that out look at Alicia Parks 22 just won her first WTA title starting to come into row now hey maybe if she I didn't know I don't think she went to college maybe if she'd gone to college for a couple of years who knows she would have had an education under her she would have had an experience that she'll never forget and she probably would have been a better player in the end a little bit earlier because she would have had a lot of structured practice and a lot of really good matches. And she would have won a hell of a lot. She would have lost a lot as well. Unless she I had a dick she... coach who pitted her against her other teammates and da, da, da. I mean, I'm just saying a lot for a lot of people, a lot of women, especially the NCAA college experience is horrific um, because yeah. a lot of the male coaches in particular are very the right. worst to me the other the counterpoint to this and this is the only thing i'll say to sort of counter you because i think your meta point is right and correct which is experience and money and and access which is great on the other hand if you're a coach the best elite coach gets to coach pro players if you're a very 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 good coach you get to coach elite junior players who have the chance of going pro the worst of the coaches, worse than your, and oftentimes like club players, especially if it's not at a program that has, you know, a top 10, top 20 athletic department, you're the worst of the bunch and you're coaching college tennis. So for me, if you don't pick a very good program, you're going to get worse. So I do okay. think college tennis is not necessarily a panacea. If you're Ben Shelton and you're playing at Florida, great launching pad if you're jenny brady playing for stella sampras at ucla great launching pad or you know uh, somebody like you know the many many athletes who've come through like our friend christian uh you know coming through stanford great outcome nicole gibbs lots of pros come through that pipeline if you're going to the university of missouri i don't know now the coach is great and you have a better chance than when i went there but like i do i do think like pick a good school where you're going to be able to get a good coach who actually will not make you worse Ladies and gentlemen, Caitlin is uh, bringing up all of her. <laughs> this is very terrible... cathartic. This is very cathartic for me. Sorry. This is clearly did not have a good experience with your coach. Um, <laughs> he told you when you had your period one time when you said, I'm not feeling too good. Drop me down the level. And he said, gross. You got gross. And I'm like, uh, dude, you're coaching a women's tennis team. <laughs> so you need to get over. You don't know if they have one period to deal with. You have eight periods to deal with. Yeah. So Can I... Okay. So we'll button that up. Look, I think the bottom line is. Pick a good school, make sure they have a good coach, make sure they have good rapport with their players and talk to people before you choose a school if you're really good. You know what? I think that might uh, be good life advice, which is if you work with a coach, make sure that they work well with you. They bring out the best in you. They push you. They're not dicks to you. And also, uh, 
I want to also kick back on you a little bit because I know a bunch of coaches on the pro tour who couldn't make it even at fucking the local club. Okay, so let's just <laughs> Fair enough. Calm, calm the farm. On okay. if you're coaching an elite player, you're an elite coach. No, you're not. You just happen to get lucky by being a decent former player yourself who uh-huh. maybe played maybe the challenges, especially men. This is only I'm directing this mostly to men because there's no chance a woman that hasn't had a stellar career is not getting once a coaching job. You know, if you're not a Conchita Martinez and one Wimbledon, you're not getting a look in. And mm. so many of these guys are like players that never made it on the pro tour. They barely won a match in the challenges. They maybe were ranked like 800 in the world as guys. And they're coaching some of the most elite players. So that some of them are great coaches. They are very good. Co- and I know a lot of players, uh, coaches that had, did not make it very good in the professionals who are great coaches and nice guys. But there are some that are not. And not every pro player coach is an elite coach. Okay. Fair I'm enough. Okay. You um, so uh, we wanted to mention, uh, you, you, you want to talk about Julin? Speaking of streaking amazing new faces that we saw at the Australian Open, obviously we talked about Dana Schneider. We can talk about Julian, a young Chinese player who did beat Maria Sakkari in the next round. Looked like she was hitting lasers off the ground. Absolutely took the fight 1,000% to both Maria Sakkari and one, but also Victoria Azarenka, who had to play incredible. And I talked a lot about how happy I was to see Vika back at the level of not only playing intense, awesome Vika tennis, which like she does even on a bad day, like Vika's been tense, but thinking her way through playing against a streaking player, her match point to beat Julin, where they had an incredible rally, Julin pins her at the baseline and Vika hits one of the greatest running backhand cross court passing shots I've ever seen was like a thing of beauty. But I will say Julin backing it up this week, Thailand. Yeah. But I don't want you to be upset at me here for correcting you. But to call Zhu Ling young is funny because she's 29. Well, I'm 42. But but yes, she's not a she's a new face. I wouldn't say a young face, a new face. Back in the day, 29 was like, oh, when are you retiring? (laughs) Like you're almost 30. It's time to pack it in, give it up, you know, and have kids. Nowadays, it's like 39. But having said that, I have to say. It is nice to see a player who is 29 years of age, who's been through a lot, who, you know, um, hasn't had tremendous success, but is always around there. Just, you know, overall, just a really quality player that's really given it all. Is now going to be 54 in the rankings as of today. So that's a big step up for her, almost inside of the top two, uh, top, inside of the top 50. But, you know, I was looking at her career prize money is $2 million. At 29, it's not a lot of money. And that is half of it's gone in taxes. A quarter of it, without question, has already gone in travel. So, you know, this is a player that's been around a long, long time. And, um, you know, she beat Maria Sakkari at the Australian Open, as well as that a terrific match against uh, Azarenka, where she won the first set. And everyone was like, oh, who is this girl? Yeah. But, you know, yeah, it's just... Um, and she won her first title. This is her first title that she's ever won at the WTA level. And she beat Lesia Serenko of the Ukraine. Well done to Julian. And also, so nice to see Lesia Serenko play well, like, late in the game. Oh, you know what? I'm going to get political here. And not in the way you think, because oh, we've had quite a week. Boy. You know, you dare talk about somebody and not give him unmitigated praise. And then you hear about it from everybody else. Well, a certain fanship who is in your DMs threatening to, you know, kill your children. But I will say, can we just talk a little bit about Alina Svitolina? Yeah, she's uh, putting the the flag down, as you say. Yeah, she has come out with a very emotional 
plea plea as she did last year as well so i don't want to make it sound like you know this is new but she has come out preemptively ahead of wimbledon deciding if they will again ban russian and belarusian players from playing and saying this should stay in place we both know where we stand on whether we think the tournament should ban players or not but um and i don't think we're on the, exactly the same side but for me, it is interesting that Alina Svitolina is hard not to blame. I mean, it's hard to not sympathize with how, you know, her country's been uh, decimated and, and you know, spent the past year in, in absolute terror and, you know, for her friends and family. So it's just, it is interesting. Like politics just are in tennis and it's it's not something that we can get away from. And it, it, I don't want to bring it up because I necessarily have a stance on it it's just you know her point is the war is still happening my country is still being you know absolutely victimized uh by russia but obviously with sort of the implicit political support of both belarus and then you know what does that mean for tennis and what should tennis be doing you know i don't know that there's an answer don't let people wearing putin flags into your tournaments and have people's parents pose with them that's an easy one we'd love to see that ban continue even though it wasn't that no, I will, but I will say again? I will say that's the most overt pro war pro Putin, uh, you know, sort of thing we've seen. Um, I would much rather see a ban on that or like Russian money in tennis than I would Russian players. You know, I do sympathize with the fact that you know these Ukrainian players have to go out and play tennis while their country is under siege. Like it's crazy. I mean, look, it's just messy, isn't it? Uh, that's no. the best way to put it. It's just messy. Uh, you know, obviously think that. You know, the Russian tennis players and Belarusian tennis players aren't going to do anything about the war. Like, Putin's not going to be like, oh, wait a second. Well, now oh, that Andrei Lulev doesn't want me to bomb Ukraine, I'm going to stop. He's already right. said it publicly. Like, and, yeah. and you know, Sab Sabalenka could come out and be like, I'm against the war, too. And it's not like the, the Belarusian president's going to be like, oh. Arenas again. No, if anything, the they'd probably be like, where does your family live? We're going to capture them. You know, so it's no, just, no. you know, it's tough. Yeah. I understand why these players sure. can't. It would happen for sure. That's what happens in authoritarian governments. Now, I have had some couple of conversations with certain people um, where they're like, well, you know, Zelensky's just as bad. And I'm like, oh, well, hold on a second. No. I'm like, hold, hold on a second. Um, so there are Were some they Russians players, who were saying this? I'm not going to say. But there was, I remember that line told to me by someone who is not of Americans. <laughs> Or certainly in the sphere of well, to um, be fair, Americans bad group. And Americans, okay, Americans can't necessarily point out Russia and all uh, these other places no, on maps. So you know, no, um, Americans uh, are, are definitely should not be uh, throwing the first stone in the glass house. One hundred percent. No. Okay. So uh, uh, you'd say that about every country, right? No, but I American mean, in particular. We've we've along with the British have conducted uh, uh, so many atrocious, you know, war crimes ourselves. Uh, yeah. And I say this sort of as a Canadian, but yes, we as Americans are, uh, you know, responsible for destabilizing the entirety of South America, going on adventures in the Middle East for oil that have resulted in you uh, know, pain, suffering. But it's terrible. Yeah. I, I'm going to now we're going to get tweets from every American now telling everyone. No, Americans don't <laughs> care. Can you can you tell me one tweet in the last week that you've got there where you're just like, OK, this is stepping over the line a little bit too far for people out there? There was some threats to my child's life that felt like, uh, you know, I got a lot of like attempts from uh, to be hacked in. Your account is attempting to be hacked in from uh, three different places, one of which was in Serbia, but not all of them. And I was just kind of like, 
oh man hey guys if i'm your if i'm your worst nightmare for pointing out what are you know uh, the the war crimes tribunal in the hague would would very clearly you know back up then i i you got bigger fish to fry i don't know like uh, my my kid listen know, like you, keep him out of it i you, guess you and me both i don't have a kid thank <laughs> god because if they threaten my kid i might actually get on a plane to serbia myself um but but i've had my own stalker in the last yeah. couple of days oh no stalking, stalking me and my partner uh with some just uh, off the off the wall crazy shit um, not related so, to politics no not related to politics no just a straight up aussie psychopath Balloon. so you know we've 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 had our share of but you know what Renee? here we are we're still talking about tennis we're still sharing our opinions um some of which are informed by personal experience uh and some of which are opinions but either way um i'm delighted to get to talk tennis with you because there is and i'd say this every time but i think it's always true there's never a better time to be a tennis fan we have such amazing tennis to watch we have such amazing characters to come and I can't tell you the amount of people who've come up to me and said, hey, I just started watching Breakpoint. Hey, I caught some of the Australian Open. Hey, like, are you going to Indian Wells this year? Hey, what tournament should I go to? Should I skip Miami and go to Charleston? You know, like, just, just uh, you know, it's wonderful. Yeah. Like, to me, yeah, well, Miami is now in a parking lot that's sinking into the swamp, and they moved it out of the actual city of Miami. So if that is a consideration for you, 1,000% skip Miami until they move it back to the city and go to Charleston, which is a lovely place with incredible food and has a fantastic, fantastic tournament or some other tournament that has some kind of connection to the local city that it's in. And by the way, the tournament organizers at Miami, I'm sure you guys are in a hot spot because of all the family who owns Scranton Park and the city and politics and stuff, but do better because that Dolphin Stadium setup is atrocious. And you know what? I will say less is more and move on to praising the tournaments that do a great job. Indian Wells, Charleston, Roland Garros, you know, like there's just so much to look forward to. And this is part the part of the year where things, you know, get a little bit more t in my time zone. So I get a little bit more excited. I don't, that's all I'll say about Australia, but it's exciting just, to have tennis back. Blah, 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 blah. Just admit it. Clay is on its way. Clay is on its way, Renee. So uh, <clears throat> for everyone out there that listens to our podcast, thank you so much. Thank you for watching my show. If you do 5 p.m. every weekday, I do talk a lot of tennis. So please tune in. Um, and I have some great guests this week to talk all things sports, tennis, uh, et cetera. And uh, Caitlin was my co-host for a little bit. And then she was my Anytime. actual host for a week. But thanks for listening to us today. And also <clears throat> for everybody out there, just calm the farm. Thank you for listening. Until next week, we'll have more to discuss. Renee, any parting shots, parting words? Uh, my parting shots are um, have a good day, everyone, and calm the farm. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.